Good morning, everybody, and it's great to be here together. It's quite strange standing out in the corridor, hearing Ed play Come Now is the Time to Worship. Uh, it's a great song, not one that was quite on my hit list to be played at Hillhead, but there you go, I like it. Um, but it was really interesting because I'd chosen for our call to worship two responsive pieces from Baptist Praise and Worship, and the first of those connects really well with that song. So it's great to know that um, somewhere along the line we are in tune with where the Holy Spirit is leading us. So if you'd like in your hymn books to turn to number 27 and then be ready to turn to the page before that because we'll be using number 24 after it. So first number 27 and then number 24. I'll read the words in ordinary type if you would join with me please. In the words, in the bold time. Lord, to whom shall we go? Your words are the words of eternal life. Lord God, we come here in all kinds of moods and from a variety of situations. You know what these are and what each of us needs to hear at this time. Make us ready for the words that will bring us life. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Truly, my heart waits silently for God. Father, it takes time for us to get to know one another. There has to be waiting. We wait on you now in silence, so that your presence and love And so let's come to God in our prayers of thanks and our prayers of confession. We pray together. Loving God, we thank you for the unique gift of this day. Thank you for all its rich potential, just waiting to be discovered. Thank you for those with whom we will share it. Perhaps people we've never met before, and most probably people who have always been there. Thank you for the way it is like so many other days, and the ways in which it is quite unlike any other day ever. Thank you for the countless blessings we will enjoy and may not even notice. So extravagant is your generosity to us. Loving God, Scripture reminds us that you are slow to anger, yet we know that there is much that offends and insults you. We are sorry for our part in the evil that distorts your love. For the times we've remained silent when we should have spoken out. For the times we've looked away rather than seeing the truth. For the times we've walked away to avoid getting involved. And for the times when we deliberately chose actions or words designed to wound to deny hope, to refuse help, to destroy 
rather than to build. Forgive us, cleanse us, and equip us to live more worthily. We hear and we believe the words of Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. Loving God, who takes delight in the whole of your creation, may we who meet in Christ's name be inspired by your Holy Spirit to grow in love day by day. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and do not forget how kind he is. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He keeps me from the grave and blesses me with love and mercy. He fills my life with good things so that I stay young and strong like an eagle. The Lord judges in favour of the oppressed and gives them their rights. He revealed his plan to Moses and let the people of Israel see his mighty deeds. The Lord is merciful and loving, slow to become angry and full of constant love. He does not keep on rebuking. He is not angry forever. He does not punish us as we deserve or repay us according to our sins and wrongs. As high as the sky is above the earth, so great is his love for those who honour him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins from us. As a father is kind to his children, so the Lord is kind to those who honour him. He knows what we are made of. He remembers that we are dust. As for us, Our life is like grass. We grow and flourish like a wild flower. Then the wind blows on it and it is gone. No one sees it again. But for those who honour the Lord, his love lasts forever. And his goodness endures for all generations of those who are true to his covenant and who faithfully obey his commands. The Lord placed his throne in heaven. He is king over all. Praise the Lord, you strong and mighty angels who obey his commands, who listen to what he says. Praise the Lord, all you heavenly powers, you servants of his who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his creatures, in all the places he rules. Praise the Lord, my soul. And in the New Testament, uh, we have from James chapter 3, from verse 13. It's entitled, The Wisdom from Above. Is there anyone among you who is wise and understanding? He is to prove it by his good life, by his good deeds performed with humility and wisdom. But if in your heart you are jealous, bitter and selfish, don't sin against the truth by boasting of your wisdom. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven. It belongs to the world. It is unspiritual and demonic. 
Where there is jealousy and selfishness, there is also disorder and every kind of evil. But the wisdom from above is pure, first of all. It is also peaceful, gentle and friendly. It is full of compassion and produces a harvest of good deeds. It is free from prejudice and hypocrisy. And goodness is the harvest that is produced from the seeds the peacemakers plant in peace. Amen. As I'm sure everybody knows, today is World Leprosy Day. And this service has been built around the material supplied by the Leprosy Mission to help us to mark this occasion. It's also Homelessness Sunday. And although I'm told this is only in England and Wales by Radio 2, it is Education Sunday, but I think we can appropriate Education Sunday for Scotland as well. What is interesting, I think, is that the work of the leprosy mission embraces issues of both education and homelessness. So by focusing on TLM, we're not ignoring or denying those other important things. We're just choosing today to focus on one specific expression of mission amongst the poorest and most vulnerable of people, and specifically in a country that is very much a turbulent and troubled place. The main reading that we heard today, Psalm 103, is the one that TLM set for this service. And they just gave us one reading, so it was up to me to find something else to put alongside it. Now, if I'm completely honest, preaching on the Psalms is not my natural preference, partly because if we read them honestly and in their entirety, some of the things they say, or at least the way they say it, is a bit discomforting. Try looking at some of the ones in the 130s and read them from beginning to end, and you might go, there's a temptation to choose a few of the verses out in the middle that seem to fit what is nice and comfy and cosy, rather than allowing the raw emotion of the ancient psalmists to be pondered. This psalm, it seems to me, tells us a lot about God's characteristics and attributes. And in so doing, it challenges us to reflect on our own human nature, It doesn't give us nice, neat answers to the realities of life, but it does allow us to ponder something of the divine concern for all creation. I don't know about you, but I get a little bit annoyed by some of the atheism that is portrayed on the television, the angry anti-Christianity that says, well, I don't believe in a God that would do this, that, and the next thing. When actually that's not the kind of God that I believe in anyway. It's not the kind of God that Christians believe in, and it's not the kind of God that most other world faiths believe in. A God who is capricious and vengeful. A God whose favor can be bought by doing the right rituals or the right sacrifices. A God who is angry and aggressive. This seems to be the kind of God that a lot of the atheists reject. And it's really, really easy to set up a God you don't want to believe in. It's much more of a challenge to think about what a God who deserves our faith, 
who deserves our worship might be like. The truth is that even amongst Christians, people sometimes talk about an Old Testament God. An Old Testament God who is terrifying and vengeful. And we don't really like that God. And then somehow God grows up. And we get a New Testament God who's cuddly and benign and does the kind of things that we want God to do. But the reality is neither of those is true. Because God is mysterious. And God is beyond anything we can imagine or understand. If we want to begin to build up a helpful picture of who God is, we have to work harder, engage with bigger chunks of scripture, and wrestle with the bits that are not quite so comfortable so that we can start to find out what God really is like. And maybe Psalm 103 is as good a starting place as any. Sometimes it is said that the best sermons a preacher ever needs to, ever delivers are the ones that she needs to hear herself, or he needs to hear himself. Now, I don't know whether David, who is identified as a writer of this psalm, needed to hear the message, but he begins with words addressed to himself, or more specifically, to his own soul. He begins with an injunction, a command to himself. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise God's name. Call to mind what God is like. We know from the scripture record that David had, to say the least, a colourful life. There were times when he had incredible experiences of being close to God, and he was described as being a man after God's own heart. And there were times when he deliberately turned his back on God and chose a path of evil. He knew great joy and incredible sorrow. He knew really good health, but also was debilitated by sickness, at least emotional and mental sickness. And out of his experience, good and bad, happy and sad, he calls himself to praise the God who is active in his everyday experience. I don't know if you noticed it when it was being read, but I certainly noticed when I was working with the psalm this week, it's all in the present tense. God forgives all my sins. God heals all my diseases. God redeems me from the pit. Uh, Good good news Bible says grave. That's not quite right. It should be Sheol, which is the shadowy afterlife, which was the dread of the ancients. But God redeems him from that. God blesses me with love and mercy. God fills my life with good things. And I think that's really important It's not a list of what God did yesterday or last week or last year, though God did do all those things in the past. And neither is it a plea for God to do it tomorrow or next week or next year, though God will. It's a statement about the here and now. God is alive and active 
and interested in every part of my life today, this moment. And therefore, I should praise God. It's a very personal call to praise, a very personal expression of how God is experienced, a very personal understanding of the nature of God. And at the same time, of course, it's very general. We all do well to hear it and think about it afresh. If we're honest, we can find ourselves slipping to seeing God in the past tense. God used to fill the church with lots of people. God used to bless us in this way or that way. God was active then. And at other times, we kind of push God off into the future. One day, God will fill the church again. One day, God will heal all our hurts. One day, God will do this or might do that. And that may be true. But actually, we're called to be present focused. God is active in the life of every one of us here, in the life of the children's out there, and in the world beyond our doors, here and now. As you know, I'm not a great language scholar. I've never studied Hebrew, and my Greek is very limited. But I understand that in both of those languages, there is a form of the present tense that expresses a continuous action, as if God does and keeps on doing Jesus did and kept on doing when he was on earth. It's ongoing. And I think that's what is being said here. I don't have the language skills to back that up, but that's my sense. That God heals and goes on healing. God forgives and goes on forgiving. God blesses and goes on blessing. That is the nature of the God in whom we believe. God who forgives, who heals, who rescues who provides. Well, that's all fine and dandy. We can be quite comfortable with that. And then we hit verse 6 in the psalm. Nobody's got it, I don't think, open in front of them, so they can't see, which is fine. One of the things that happens in contemporary English translations of the Bible is we render the psalms as poems. It wasn't written out like that in Hebrew, and if you get very old Bibles, it's written almost as prose. But the reality is the psalms were the hymn book, the lyrics that people sang. Goodness only knows how they sang them because they don't always scan, they don't always rhyme, and there's some very, very long verses. But when people translate into English, they think, well, where does it seem likely that the verses that they sang ended and the next ones began? So I looked at my different translations, and all of them put a break just before verse 6. And several of them put a break just after verse 6, which suggests us something important about this verse, this sentence that is drawn out from everything else to make us pause and ponder it a little bit. It's what the commentators sometimes call a hinge verse, the thing where the whole thing turns around, in this case, moving from something personal to something more generic, from something that's comforting to something that's challenging. Verse 6 says, 
God judges in favor of the oppressed and gives them their rights. It's still present tense, like everything that went before, but actually this is something much more specific in the divine nature and more general in human experience, if you like. It's a statement of what people sometimes call God's preferential option for the poor. A sense that God is especially interested in people who are the victims of human society, and actually perhaps more so than those of us who enjoy its bounty. And they're challenging words, words that we ought to pause and think about. If this is the case, how come so many people still die in poverty? How come people get exploited? How is it that leprosy and TB and malaria still claim so many lives? And I guess if there are easy answers, then they're probably not very clever answers because they trivialize the questions and deny our own sinfulness, our own soul sickness, and the shadowy existence of a broken and distorted world. God judges in favor of the oppressed and gives them their rights. Absolutely. But how is that experienced? Well, for organizations such as the Leprosy Mission, on whom we are focusing specifically today, and the Baptist Missionary Society, and other mission organizations throughout the world, God's concern for marginalized people, for poor people, for the victims of society, is the driving force in all they do. If God cares for these people, and if God is working justice on their behalf, shouldn't we, as Christ's hands and feet, join in and play our part? And then just as we're starting to think about that, the psalm moves on again and seems to go off in another direction because it's talking about Moses, the patriarch to whom God revealed all the teaching of the law. And it's really interesting when we think about the Torah, the law, to think of it as a long list of prohibitions and to reduce God to some kind of tyrant who just says, Thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that, thou shalt not do the other. And to miss what underlies all of that, the principles that God was actually giving to Moses to give to the people. Do you know, it's really easy to find that we are like the people that Jesus criticized. Jesus criticized the teachers of the law because they interpreted it in a harsh way, a way that people couldn't live up to a way where people were bound to fail. Now, we might, if we're honest, choose to reject parts of the law, the Torah. I suspect there are several people here today wearing clothes of mixed fibers. I suspect a lot of us like a bit of black pudding. I suspect a lot of us do things that Leviticus proscribes. But there are also bits of law maybe as written in the Bible or as in church tradition, 
that we take very seriously indeed and interpret quite harshly. The reality is God's law takes very, very seriously the needs of the most vulnerable in society. If we read what it says, there is a lot in the Bible, in the Old Testament, about care for foreigners, for widows, for orphans, and actually, yes, surprisingly, for those who are sick. Underlying the law was a God whose characteristics had been revealed to Moses, and it's apparently Exodus 34, so my commentator tells me, and summarized in this psalm. This is what this God of Torah is like. Merciful and loving, slow to anger and loving. God does not keep telling us off. God's anger soon passes. God doesn't punish us severely, nor does God exact revenge. Some stuff that sounds like a children's song to me, but it's great. God's love is as high as the sky, and God removes our sins as far as east from west. God is kind and compassionate, like a father, maybe like a mother. God remembers what we are like. This Old Testament God is nothing like the parody that the atheists reject. The God who gives the law is like a perfect parent. I'm not a parent, but my friends who are parents, and those of you here who are parents... Well, no, that's not an easy task. You want the best for your children. You want to help them to grow up, but you struggle. God is the perfect parent whose characteristics are love and compassion and forgiveness. And beyond all of that, the one who knows what we are like. What are you like? I don't know if people say that in Scotland. They say it in England a lot. What are you like? You know, you mess up. What are you like? It's a kind of a teasing rebuke. When something's gone wrong, you just say, oh, what are you like? But you're only allowed to say it to somebody that you know well and that you care about. You couldn't say it to somebody you didn't know. That would be quite wrong. It's only out of a relationship that you can say to somebody, what are you like? And God, who knows what we are like, can say that to us gently, affectionately, but probingly. (coughs) What are you like? Because if we're honest, we know that that, those things in the reading from James reflect too much of what we can be like. We can harbour grudges bitterness, or envy. We can promote our own agendas, even though we might dress it up in holy language. We can confuse revenge with justice and seek retribution rather than reparation. We can enjoy the power that wealth gives us, the opportunities, the choices, and the control. We can be wise in the ways of the world, but we can lack the wisdom of God. What are we like? David says we're like grass, like wild flowers, 
beautiful but fleeting, easily blown away by the wind. But more than that, perhaps it hints how easily we are buffeted by life and swept along by the prevailing culture. What are we like? The Apostle Paul said, I find it to be the way of things that the good I want to do, I fail to do. And the bad I don't want to do, I find myself doing. But God is described in this psalm four times as having love in the present tense that is indestructible and immeasurable. God knows what we're like, and God loves us, and loves us, and loves us, and loves us. Could it be that we who are so rich in things are poor in other ways? And so God is for us too. Might it be that God's preferential option for the poor is for those who are materially poor, those who are emotionally poor, and those who are spiritually poor? And so the psalm draws to its end. Having begun with a personal invocation to prayer and having reflected on the nature of God, The psalmist moves out to the whole of creation to repeat the call before bringing it back to himself. Praise God, all God's supernatural messengers, a.k.a. angels. Praise God, all heavenly powers. Praise God, all creatures in all places. Praise God, my soul. But of course, there has to be the so what question, doesn't there? What difference does it make for us to think about this ancient song? I think it matters because it matters how we understand God, what we think God is like. And I think it matters because how we behave is how people see our understanding of God. I can remember a long time ago when I was a student and one of my my tutors came out to hear me preach and he said, it was very good, Katrina. You put a lot of work into it, but he didn't ask scowl a lot. And that is how people will take away Jesus if that's what they see is you scowling every week. So I try not to scowl too much. But it's more than whether I'm scowling at the front, isn't it? It's, It's what we do in our lives reflects the God in whom we believe. The leprosy mission, the Baptist Missionary Society, the United Missions to Nepal, all of these organizations and others show in their everyday lives the characteristics of the God in whom they believe, a God of love, compassion, and justice. Of course, there are things that make them angry, and there are things that should make them angry but they choose to employ their anger in the ways of good rather than the spirals of evil. And undoubtedly, there are times when they need to challenge or critique the things that they say and do 
But they don't turn into belligerent nags, at least I don't think they do. And I guess this is the same challenge that we face. If we believe in the God of Psalm 103, a God who is alive and active, a God whose love is wider than the oceans, higher than the seas and deeper than the deepest sea, a God who continually forgives and restores and heals, how does that appear in our lives? How is that expressed through this church? How is it experienced in the city of Glasgow and more widely in God's world? That's the challenge we live with. Can't give the answer, but that's the challenge that we live with. As the psalmist says, praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless God's holy name. Let's come to God with our prayers of intercession. Loving God, you know what we're like, and you still love us. All of us, and all people, those that we consider to be worthy, honourable, admirable, decent, and good, and those we consider to be worthless, dishonourable, repugnant, inadequate, or bad. You are for us, all of us, because in some way, every one of us is poor. Easily, and sometimes simplistically, we pray for those who are poor in things. People without possessions, education or wealth. As if you should grant our wishes and take away the nastiness that offends us. Yet you alone see their true needs. And whilst they may be material and physical, they might be psychological, emotional or spiritual. God of the poor and weak. We pray for all who give their energies to addressing the complex issues of poverty and disease. Noting today especially the leprosy mission with its holistic approach. And we share in their daily prayer that you, Almighty Father, the giver of life and health, look mercifully on those who suffer from leprosy. Stretch out your hands to touch and heal them as Jesus did during his earthly life. Grant wisdom and insight to those who are seeking the prevention and cure of the disease. Give skill and sympathy to those who minister to the patients. Reunite the separated with their families and friends. And inspire your people with the task set before the leprosy mission, that it may never lack either the staff or the means to carry on its healing work. In accordance with your will, and to the glory of your holy name. 
easily and sometimes simplistically. We focus for a day or even for a few days on a specific topic. The leprosy mission, fair trade, BMS, homelessness, education, addiction, or any of dozens of other causes. And then we move on to the next new thing. As if we've played our part, done our thinking, our giving, our changing. And yet, you see our true needs, which are rarely material or physical, and quite frequently psychological, emotional or spiritual. God of the poor and weak, we pray for ourselves as we wrestle with the competing claims on our time and energy, as we try to be generous without overstretching ourselves and to be involved without spreading ourselves too thinly. And so we adapt the TLM prayer, making it our own. That you, almighty Father, the giver and life of life and health, look mercifully on us gathered here today. Stretch out your hand to challenge and to comfort us, as Jesus did during his earthly life. Grant us wisdom and insight in all our thinking and choosing. Give us skill in our work and empathy for those we serve. Where relationships are damaged, reunite the separated with their families and friends. And inspire us, your people, with the task set before us that we may never lack the resources, energy or enthusiasm to continue your work, the work to which you have called us, in accordance with your will and to the glory of your holy name. We ask this for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Lord, your love was and is and always be, will be, for you are indeed a God of the present tense. And so we know that you go with us as we go from here, and that your love surrounds us in every moment of every day, not just until we meet again, but forever. And we thank you for that. And so we go confident in the name of Christ our Redeemer to live and love and work to his praise and glory. Amen.